If you'll turn in your Bibles to where we left off, we did enter into 1 Kings, closing off on David's life, a baton handoff to Solomon coming up. And the title we had last week, which we'll continue on and label this a part two, is Uprising, Yet the Lord is Arising. Uprising, comma, but the Lord, or yet the Lord is Arising. Taken from Isaiah as you hold your place there, in the 60th chapter, the word is arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people but the Lord will arise over you and his glory will be seen upon you. And the Gentiles shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. That's a great word all the way up to verse three because it is a hope for this generation in what we would call dark times and shadows that cover the culture of people, confusion about why we are alive and with the uncertainty that obviously political and cultural seasons bring us into it's time to be able to say this is who we are this is whom we know we serve a risen savior as he arose he still will arise over the predicaments over the innuendo Over the blasphemy, he will arise. There is an enemy. The enemy is rebellious, has been since the time of his ejection from heaven and his rejection currently of God and his rejection of the people of God, his intention to deceive the world regarding God. We're in a time in which we are to stand firm in our faith, Faith is tested not by what we see, but what we believe. And then we get to see the Lord. He is arising. Where we have rebellion that's represented in the second son of David that we read last week about, a brother who followed sadly in the footsteps of an elder brother who came to no good because pride was in his heart not humility. All kinds of reasons that pride today only changes its garb. But it's insidious, at times unpredictable, not necessarily foreseen, but it eventually exposes itself to be seen. So there's never any better time than the church to be able to represent humility. Pride in our Lord, no pride in ourselves, that were those who are able to say with certainty, I stand on the principles of God's word. His light has shone. He and his sovereignty is arising over the shadow zones, over darkness, over deception. He is arising. It's our call to be an assured voice of hope and of reason to those being deceived and misled. And so again, there's a pattern, we see it. The older you get, 
the clearer you see it. It has a repetitiveness to it. Or in linguistic terms, redundancy. You can almost just anticipate it in cycles. And the Lord would want us to know that as it is something we see in cycles, his arising also comes very faithfully, very predictably. Because when people are left to doubt what's going on, why is this happening, the answer that we have is because the Lord's time draws nigh. He's coming back. He doesn't come back to a perfect world. He comes back to rescue his bride from a tragic world. And he comes to rescue her, the church, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. We've talked about that. Rev teaches on it. The rapture. That's a hope. It's not simply an escape. It's a provision in which we are not to endure, nor is it intended to suffer the wrath of God. God will be not necessarily at war, but in dominant sovereignty over those who have warred against him. It's better to look at it that way. It's not like God calling all of heaven together for a staff meeting goes, guys, do you, are you armed up? Check your guns lately. Got your spears and javelins. We really have a tough battle ahead. It's not tough for God at all. By his very word, he spoke light. By his very word, breath ceases. So we have a champion God that we serve, and he's with us. But his intention is to draw us up to the place that he has said we are appointed to be. In the same light, when we come back to Kings right now, it's a picture of the conclusion of David's tenure on earth. But he had a heavenly perspective. If he could see that his son, first that was conceived with Bathsheba, was taken to heaven in a judgment. And he said, I cannot bring him down, but one day I will go up to be with him. It was a pronouncement of faith that my tenure will, at some point in time, be exhausted, satisfied. And then I will go and see him. Now that's a pretty amazing heavenly focus from a heartbroken man who had committed sin and endured a judgment. And yet in that judgment, he said, there's hope. I know where he's going and I'm going to see him. That as well is something that we need to be able to share in our life experience. I know life is hard. I know the consequence of sin has been felt. I've contributed to it. You've contributed to it. We've all had in some measure a contribution to what is not the intentions of God. But praise God, what we see in David's life is the turnaround that God allowed to be satisfied through him, that the lineage that he believed in, his throne to endure, would be transferred legitimately and authentically to ultimately Jesus Christ, the son of David. And by the way, he took no shame in that. He took shame on the cross, but no shame being linked to David who would have shame on his life. In the same context as we conclude the ministry of David and as we welcome the 
introduction of the years that represents something extraordinary through Solomon, the Lord looks at us and where the world endeavors to shame us on what we once were, what we at times may still be vulnerable to, that is not God's appointment. He carries on the lineage through us. Those who realize we're not perfect, but we're being perfected and we have a covering it is in Jesus Christ. That's a word of hope. Some people cannot escape the tragic consequence of being demeaned perpetually through multimedia or what we would call simply the contextual areas of Facebook and the others because people are exercising a cruelty that is not of the Lord. David would have experienced that. Jesus certainly would have experienced it. But there are kids today that unrelentingly can't escape it. And therefore, they choose to make an escape that was not, nor is, God's plan. We're to finish. So let's pick it up where we left off. We're going to do so, verse 38. David right now has been greeted by Bathsheba. She is the mother of Solomon. She has met with Nathan the prophet. Nathan being astute, very dialed in to the voice of the Lord and the conspiracies of the people, joins forces with her. That David in what very likely is such frailty that she needs to have a reinforcement from a prophet that he attended to. This very likely is the very same Nathan that confronted him early on in his 50s. 20 years later, he's now in his 70s, probably precisely in his 70s. And so this is the pairing up of two people that have great sentiment to him, one that spoke truth to him, one that remained with him. In a time where sin prevailed over them, he had one that remained with him, that was Bathsheba. Domestically, his life certainly was looted and far less than it should or could have been because of that. But what we see right now is the strength and force of two people who had a deep relationship with Jesus and understood the plan of God, even in the face of the adversary, even within their own family. That's why it's so important that families stay knitted with God by raising kids up to love God and to honor their parents. That's why we do Sunday school. I firmly believe that those kids could be in here and they would, by God's grace, learn stuff. They would learn how to sit. <laughs> they would learn new vocabulary words and be asking you, what did he say? And you would say, I'm going to get a thesaurus and figure that one out. I firmly believe that they, by the Spirit, could learn much. But what we do is we nurture their heart on a level that doesn't provoke a striving. In the same context, Nathan was one who voiced truth to David, and David was able to hear the word of the Lord, and was able to also hear, nevertheless, you shall not die. 
The consequence would come, but the judgment of death because of what David had done with Bathsheba was suspended. That is a prequel or what we would say as a picture of grace unfurling in David's life when he needed it the most. Do you need it the most? It's there for you. Does David need grace right now? He does. Because everything within his frailty right now must be summoned in an act of pronouncement to stay true to what he knows God spoke to him and what Bathsheba has said confirmed. You said this, David. Our son, my son, would sit on your throne. Nathan comes out, as we looked at last week, from a close proximity to a test. Yes, David, it's time to pronounce Solomon king. We as a church are pronouncing that Jesus is king, or if you would, we are for announcing. We're letting people know he's not the lesser, he's the greater, he is the sovereign. And he has a kingdom. And he has a throne that he will sit on. It is coming, but the place that he will draw us to first is our heavenly dwelling place to be with him. And the witnesses, the spirit, and the scriptures, both those things that speak of a deep passion we have in devotionally following the Lord and the precepts and doctrines that are in this word, much as Nathan represented that to David. David, it's true. What this woman speaks devotionally, what the church speaks devotionally is true. Stay the course. Make the pronouncement. If you would, it may be linked to doing this, settling your estate. I'm in a time right now where in advance of what I don't know, but what I'm pretty confident I will know, is that there's a tenure I have that will have greater limitations. Meaning, at 64, I kind of know where my family checks out, the men. I just received word yesterday that my Aunt Pat, who was married to my namesake, Uncle Dick, Richard Ablett, great guy, second, third eldest in my dad's family of six, and she passed away at 94. And I thought about it and said, wow, I didn't know there was that much difference between my mom and Aunt Pat. My mom passed away in 2015. But they made it to just about that same area. The women tend to live longer in my family. But the guys pretty much check out at about 70, 79. I'm trying to make sure that my estate can be settled, not disputed, ready for a turn of events that makes transition easier. All of us can do better. All of us maybe just need to start doing something. But in essence, this is what the preparation is for the church. We have to be ready for ultimately the transition that will take place in this faculty, this meeting right now. If God calls a church home now, 
Have we done what it takes to put our estate in order that the lineage of truth is passed on? Will these Bibles, which probably will not come with us into heaven, will they be in place? Will they be on page? Will they have notes that someone that didn't get the message, did not receive the Lord in faith, it's all they've got? You've already seen how the media has corrupted what? Truth. It doesn't. Do you listen to people now and speculate? I don't know if I can believe you. Have you ever had that challenge? Where are you getting your statistics from? I'm not sure if I've read that. That's why they're going to need to have the estate manager, you, leave behind the legacy that becomes inarguable. This is the word that that brother, that father, sister had everywhere they went. And it's all I have of what remains of them. And whatever it is they believed in, I'm now mindful that I didn't. And I'm here. And things are terrible right now. Right now, this represents a skirmish from the perspective of God. From the perspective of David, it's warfare now. And so in the settlement of his estate, this is what we find out. As he's making this pronouncement, he's doing so to confirm the word that he gave. God gave us a word as a church, and he will satisfy it perfectly. God's estate is in order. It's where he's bringing us. The estate that he sovereignly still governs upon earth is what we would call at a distate. It's in disarray. It needs to be put together again. So for those of you that have studied Revelation with Rivs, as well as your own studies, there will be a period after seven years in heaven in which we come down from heaven with the Lord and he'll take his position in Jerusalem on a throne. It's difficult to understand how it looks like, and especially if you've toured Israel, but it will be the location that Jesus will position himself with the believers that come from heaven with him. And we will be ruling and reigning on earth for a thousand years. That's difficult to look at. What does it mean to be ruling and reigning a thousand years? Do I get a new body? You get a new body. Glorified body. But you'll be with those who have not yet received a glorified body. They're still making decisions about God. It's enforced righteousness. We see a picture of that with David right now. He's unfortunate. He's enforcing the righteousness that God has given to him as king and the lineage that gets passed on. Zadok, verse 38, the priest, Nathan, the prophet, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. See, we see some things here that are important that we don't see in Adonijah's, if you would, self-appointed monarchy. He has anointing oil that has come from the tabernacle. You cannot get the anointing oil 
from the tabernacle without having a righteous edict or you would die. Zadok is the only one by permission of God that could have gone into the holy place to have received the anointing oil that would be used to pour out upon Solomon. Hence, what the Lord is saying is that my government operates in an anointing from me, from the holy place. And apart from me, it is dysfunctional, it is discredited, and it is corrupt. We know that Solomon will have challenges in one regard personally as a king, but his kingdom will prevail magnificently above and among all kingdoms that ever existed. We hear far less of it than we do of Babylon, but in every way imaginable, it was greater than any kingdom that has ever been on this earth, just subdued by the one who still governs and manages media today, just cleverly subdued. How great, what, how many stables did he have? What real estate did he own? How many people did obey him? Couldn't have been that way. Too much for any one man to have been that brilliant in all fields of sciences and of all areas of wisdom and knowledge. Fable. But in essence, it's a picture right now of what God is doing. He's justifying him before his nation. And Solomon's a young guy in his 20s, probably the earliest of his 20s, maybe just barely there knocking on the door of 20. So the anointing has come from God through the priesthood. Your anointing comes from God through the priesthood. Are you the priest, Rich? No, that's the good news. Is like you, I'm one that has been a part of a royal priesthood because like you, I belong to the church. I'm called just like you. I just have a specific gifting in which I share and explain the word, but I'm actually standing before a wonderful royal chosen generation, a generation of priests generation of prophets and prophetesses. You are able to discern the word of the Lord and to share the word of the Lord. You're a community of family members. It's pretty awesome to have the privilege of looking at you and esteeming you far greater than myself. But the anointing comes from the Lord through the priesthood. So why is the church being attacked? because Satan knows that his power is limited by the church, by the morality of the church, by the steadfastness of the church and allegiance to the Lord, and not in absolute allegiance to the government. We can honor the government, but the government is not to subordinate the church. The church is not the lesser, it is the greater. We exercise in humility, but we do not have any less power. So we pray and we stand firm. 
So this is what you're seeing, David. He's putting the estate in order. The church needs to be put as an estate in order. So what does he do? He orders our steps. I just feel like going to church today. Good. He's ordering your steps. He's putting you in order because you belong in the church. We have people that are saying, I'm doing pretty good, really. Actually, it's been kind of a relief. And I'm saying this not trying to be derogatory, but there's a time in which the church needs to make its footsteps back into the church. There's only so long you can hold on to a governmental excuse as to why you don't belong in the house of the Lord, where the anointing is, where comfort is, where the people of your eternal family are. Because what it's costing you is light. Dimmer and dimmer and dimmer is the light that God has given to the believer that lives in the shadow zone of culture, just abiding, just waiting for things to get better. It doesn't necessarily get better, but you certainly, anybody that does, does not prevail and prosper spiritually. So Solomon's putting right now a robe on, and that robe is being given to him by the voicing of his father and by the anointing by a prophet of God who stands as full of integrity. And you can trust this. That anointing is upon you. It's full of integrity. God is using you. It's marvelous to see. The college folks came over to our place last night. I think it counted like 25 or 20, something like that. It was a wonderful occasion of fellowship. And I'm going, what's bringing these guys? The Lord's bringing them. They were wonderful I had a little fire pit out for them. They were warming up with each other. It was like, we don't use fire pits. We use body heat. We use the spirit. <laughs> I went out there and warmed myself up at the fire pit. Wiped the tears from my eyes. You don't know the work I went through to get propane. <laughs> they just hung out in the house. Because they're a generation that knows that the anointing has been given to them and they're enjoying the discipline, discipline of hanging out together, praying, receiving the word. Sam did a great teaching last night, giving clarity on the attributes of God. Love one week, wrath the other week. How interesting. Solomon will exercise a wrath based on David, his father, saying, it's time to clean house. Now, this isn't a get-your-guns moment for us. It's a get-on-your-knees time that we exercise praying for those who, in authority, will abide by principle and precept and turn people to the Lord, not with a political force, but the power of the Holy Spirit to enforce righteousness. It can be changed. Even as you've seen our government corrupted by those who have come in corrupted, we can change government until the Lord returns by putting in place those who love God, value principles and doctrines of morality and ethics, vote by vote. But we pray as we put our estate in order, as we prepare for a day in which we're called out because the wrath of God will come down. 
He would that none should perish. That's not your responsibility per se to be one that would say, I've got to do it myself. That's not true. You simply have to be praying to the God of the harvest that what you have in you and the connections you have have been clearly able to be articulated. Sometimes it's just your kindness. I don't do anything. What about the kindness that you are to somebody, that you show somebody? That isn't enough. Hmm. The scriptures say it's his kindness that leads men to repentance. How kind have you found yourself to be? But you're really not appropriating it in a manner that you need to. A kind word, a kind blessing, a kind giving of something. You have no idea that your kindness actually is an attribute of God. It's a fruit of the Spirit that's powerfully invoking. David exercised actually great kindness in the midst of such rejection and heinous deception. It's an attribute that we actually see in David's life. Leading them to repentance, so and you need to understand this, means they've got a choice. But my kindness didn't work. They've got a choice. God's kindness leads men to repentance. It does not force them to accept. It just leads them. It's compelling evidence to say there's something in my life that's overwhelming me that I don't deserve. It's a kindness that I've never shown to anybody. I want to choose differently about the course of my life. And the Lord says, follow me. Straight and narrow. You're on the broad. You're going to Broadway. That leads to destruction. Follow me. David putting his estate in order, confirmed by the anointing of oil upon his son, being given the privilege of, in that time, the animal of deep honor, which was the mule, not the stallion, the mule. It probably did show that there was something extraordinary about that because mules, though they may not look magnificent, they have a stubborn personality that can only be governed by submission to a true king. Jesus would use that himself coming in to his kingdom to be revealed and yet to be re rejected. So the people are all gathered it says, all the people went up, it says, after him in verse 40, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy so that the earth seemed to split with their sound, their sound. They're making melody in their hearts. They're conducting a praise and worship of God in what now is recognized as a duly appointed leader of their nation. And even though we did not hear much about Solomon, it did not pass the eyes of the people that were upon him. Did you know that, that sometimes we discount the little kids? Ah, not much there, don't know what they're doing, not sure where they're going. They seem to always just be somewhere that I didn't anticipate. Those guys are not necessarily in areas that we would find altogether wrong. But we're surprised at how much they had devoted themselves to the Lord. My kids very often will peel off, and I never have to know or worry where they're peeled off to, because it's usually here. They're either grabbing a microphone or guitar, 
ever spends a lot of time on the drums. If anything, I have to summon him back from the church. Uh, it's one o'clock. <laughs> Where are you? Just working on the cymbals, Dad. I'll, I'll be in. But the people right now are rejoicing. And what you need to know is the church is a people group that needs to rejoice in their king. Worship's really important. It's not what we pursue exclusively because that could become experiential. But we prioritize worship inclusively to the teaching of his word. It's what makes us different. We don't have to fight for what's the hot topic today because it comes as we read the word of God, as we explain the scriptures, as we sing songs to the Lord. And so as this continues on, it comes now to the attention of Adonijah and all of the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. They're Epicureans. They're feasting. Nothing wrong with a barbecue today, guys. It's great. In fact, I think your barbecue is going to be richly blessed, whatever you have on the table, whatever restaurant you go to following this, because you dined here first. Less indigestion later. Less indigestion. And you can savor it. So cool that in the illustration that Rivs gave, his wafer, his cracker, his unleavened bread was broken into crumbs. Mine was too. And so he gave me a, an adjustment of my thoughts. Who would cause this unleavened bread to be broken? And when I found out that his actually was decimated into crumbs, I kind of felt a little better because I had a little bit more. But then I thought, he's right. It's not bad that it's crummy. It's an illustration that his body was broken for us. And if it satisfies the Lord to give us a focus on what that means, all the parts that will not be spared and the breaking of our body in similitude to the breaking of his body, then let it be. I'll take the crumbs. For at one time it was all one piece. But the Lord would say the parts are also pieces and they will be broken. Adonijah realizes that something's happening and it says this, all the guests who were with them heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, why is the city in such a noisy uproar? Verse 42, while he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest. And Adonijah said to him, come in, for you are a prominent man and bring good news. And then Jonathan answered and said to Adonijah, no. Our Lord King David has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and they have made him ride on the king's mule. So Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Also, Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. Also, the Lord sits on the throne of his kingdom. What is this uproar? It's called worship. What are you guys happy for? Because the Lord's on his throne. He's taken his rightful place. He's presiding over my life 
that though you would presume is in great distress, I stress to you, my life is better than yours because of where I'm going, because of who has secured me in my life. No matter what you're going through, you were always able to say, I am secure in my life. Even with strife, I'm doing far better than those who are avoiding truth. Remaining content, much better am I doing. He sits on the throne of the kingdom. And moreover, the king's servants have gone to bless our Lord King David, saying, May God make the name of Solomon better than your name, and may he make his throne greater than your throne. Then the king bowed himself on the bed. So we're kind of given as well this picture of what was seen. King David and the power that remained gave the forceful word of truth. Solomon shall be king. The lineage will continue. And he bows himself on his bed. He doesn't expire. He just bows himself. Why? There's still work to do. Also, the king said that thus, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who has given one to sit on my throne this day while my eyes see it. We're seeing things right now that are of the Lord and that are remarkable to view concerning God. And through the church, it is remarkable to know that even in a world that is in upheaval, the eyes of the Lord are upon where his heart is at, and that's on Israel. They're suffering in a political turmoil. We're suffering in a political turmoil. But God is in no way suffering. And in no way should we be those who do not understand that there is a cup of trembling that's represented by Jerusalem. I wish that it were better times there because I want to go back there. But it's not the end of times yet. It's the Lord beginning to summon up the consummation of the ages. And so I know that things have to change. And it will not always be per se what I want to do. It's what I need to do, what I'm able to do here. Love to go back there. But right now, it's not that place. There are things that are just not there right now as they were a year and a half ago. So confirmation right now of what is the inevitable. David with his fleeting last breaths, intellect, capacity of strength that is remaining with him, good men by his sides, a wife who was able to remind him of the promise that he was to keep. We, as the Lord's, bride remind him not that he forgets but he loves hearing us cheer him on i'm confident of that those who are messianic jews those who are christian jews you have a force if you would of differences but there are those who've turned from judaism and they're believers just like you and i but they're jews and they're cheering god on for what they understand he did and what is left to do they're cheering God on. I like what that represents. God being encouraged by the faith represented in his people cheering him on on the work that he's doing. And so all the guests who were with Adonijah were afraid and arose, and each one went his way. They're pondering, oops, we chose wrong. <sighs> what have we done? 
we've listened to somebody outside our best interests. Notice this. It was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonijah is afraid of King Solomon, for look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Adonijah knows that what he has done in his rebellion warrants death, as ultimately it led to the death of his brother. And that's the thing. There will be a time in which the church not being here, but having been a forewarner of the things to come, people will be grabbing the horns of the altar, presuming that that will save them, forgetting that what they needed to do was grab the hands of God, Jesus Christ, who had spread them out on a cross. It's a picture. They will be asking mountains to fall on them, knowing that God comes back in what is the attribute of his righteousness to a Christ-rejecting world. And so King Solomon, it says in verse 52, said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before the King Solo- before King Solomon, and Solomon said to him, Go to your house. And this is what God also is saying. Oh, you can try it. If there's no wickedness and righteousness found in you, then you will not be judged. It's a picture. Go to your house, think things over. You're better off to come to my house and be on your knees and change your way of thinking altogether. But it's a picture of what the Lord is offering for the world to do. They're grabbing for things to try and save themselves, spiritual things that will not save them, as opposed to the God who has given us his spirit. And so the only word for them, see if you can keep the law. See if you can keep yourself in perfect state of of righteousness, of being worthy. And what happens? They can't. No one can. All sin and fall short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. So Solomon continues to clean house because now that duty has been given to him. David has a few more insights to give, and he will bequeath those to his son in terms of what he needs to be looking out for. But the most important charge that David will give Solomon is have a heart that follows like I did after God. Your kingdom will be secure, like mine was. God will preserve that kingdom, even though Solomon will lose sight of it. And at any time, we can lose sight as well. Stay true to the principles and the precepts that God has given to you in his word, the talents and gifts that you have to give to him, and the kindness, just the kindness, that may be the very gifting that God has given to you today to lead through his spirit others to repentance. They get to choose, though. Don't take it too hard if they don't choose. But don't keep it to yourself. Kindness is an important part of it.